0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. This Christmas Eve, we are dedicating our show to the best books of the year. Books you might want to pick up for a last minute gift or for yourself. We don't judge. This year, many of the most celebrated novels were our Get Lit With All of It book club selections. To kick things off this hour, we'll begin with a novel that was a Booker Prize nominee and a New York Times Notable Book of the Year. And, oh, by the way, it was written by a Nobel Prize winner. Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun is a powerful and emotional examination of artificial intelligence and what it means to be human ish, as he likes to be called, is the winner of the 2017 Nobel Prize in Literature and the author of modern classics like The Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go. His latest novel is set in a near future where a segment of the population has been genetically edited to be more intelligent. People in certain professions have been substituted by technology, and kids are no longer in school, instead spending their days taking classes on devices called oblongs. In this world, our narrator is Clara. Clara is an artificial friend, an AI designed to be a companion to kids dealing with loneliness or isolation. Clara isn't the newest model of AFs, but she is one of the most observant in the store where she is on display, waiting patiently for a kid to come and purchase her. That day finally comes. Clara seems to form a special connection with a teenager named Josie. Josie's mom seems reluctant to purchase Clara at first, but after some pleading from Josie, they take her home. Clara quickly learns a lot about her new family. Josie is very ill, as a result of her mother's decision to have her genetically edited for intelligence or lifted. Josie's best friend and neighbor is a boy named Rick. He is extra isolated because, unlike Josie, he isn't lifted. And then there's Josie's mother, who has a secretive, disturbing plan for Clara in case Josie's health doesn't improve. Clara becomes dedicated to making sure that the mother's plan doesn't have to come to fruition. But can Josie be saved? Kazuo Ishiguro joined us as our get-lit guest for the month of April, all the way from the UK. I began my conversation with Ish by asking him when he knew he was going to write this novel from the point of view of an AI entity.
0: Quite late on, actually. To be honest, I, I, I hadn't really planned this to be narrated by an AI creature. It, uh, it, this story started off as a... As a tiny little story for like a children's picture book um, back in 2014, something like that. And so I was thinking of it more in terms of like a, a teddy bear or a doll um, uh, that gets bought by a sick kid. Yeah. Um, it's just that I, I told this story to my, my own daughter, um, who's, who's a writer, but she was then a, working in a bookstore and knew all about children's books. And she said, look, that story is much too upsetting for for small children there's no way you can go anywhere near kids with that story and so i thought okay i'll I'll, this can be a, a dark fable for adults and that's when i thought okay it's not going to be a teddy bear or a doll it's going to be an artificial intelligence creature
1: I'm curious of how you came upon Clara's voice. She says things in such a specific way, and I wanted to just read one sentence. This is when she meets Rick, Josie's friend, and Rick's kind of suspicious of her. And she says to Rick, Clara says to Rick, I hope we can soon talk again about these matters because I believe in many ways Rick and I have similar goals. It's a very specific cadence, a very specific way of speaking. How did you arrive at Clara Speak?
0: well i I tend to audition narrators, you know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. uh, because you know way back in my career i uh, I started off with a narrator, and I realized this was a wrong narrator. it's a wrong character narrating in the wrong voice, and I had to start mm-hmm. again, and ever since then, um, you know, characters don't get the job of narrating lightly, and so Clara had to audition for me quite a bit so i I, I thought it's quite an interesting. Way for her to talk, and actually, some kind of uh, there's an English tradition of kind of servants or butlers or, you know, waiters in posh restaurants speaking like that. You know, would Sir care to have the main course now? I mean, that, that kind of thing. So, um, but she's, she's not just being polite, she's being kind of slightly distant. And I thought because she's an AI person, I mean, as soon as she actually figures out a, a kind of a label for something or a phrase for something, she kind of sticks with it she doesn't wait to see if that is what the you know the human race um how how they normally express themselves she just finds her own phrase for something right um and and th- and then she just sticks with it you know um as, you know, so she says oh that's that's giving privacy um, she, mm-hmm. um and she just finds a label a verb or, or a name for things and it, once she's she's got one it already changes you know and so um, but I didn't want it to sound too like a machine, but I thought, yeah, this kind of slightly unfamiliar language.
1: We see how different children treat the AIs. There's a scene that sticks with Clara of an AI, AF walking behind a teenager and the AF's looking very sad. And then there's the group of kids who want to throw an AF across the room to see what happens. Yet all of the AFs seem to, especially Clara, want to be with families. Why do they want to be with families?
0: Well, I mean, that, that's their mission. I, they don't necessarily need to be with families, but um, you know, when Clara comes into the story, when she comes into the world, uh, she knows very, very little about the world. There's only two things that she knows. I mean, th- th- this is what I decided. You know, She wouldn't even be like a, a Martian with lots of Martian values that she's bringing with her. She would just be this kind of blank slate, apart from two things. She knows that she's solar powered, so she's you know the sun is something that 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 brings her nourishment and is a source of goodness, and the other thing she knows is that she and all her other AFs have been created to prevent teenagers from becoming lonely so that's her mission in life is to prevent loneliness uh, and for her charge you know wh- whoever she's charged with so um so that that's really what, you know why she ends up in a family I mean you know she's got a mission um and in some ways, you know, she's like any any sort of a robot character. You know, she's got a mission and she's determined to fulfil it. It's just that in her case, I mean, she has a she has a goal that is to us um, a kind, benevolent one. It parallels, you know, being a, a good parent or being a good sibling or being a good friend. So, I suppose we we, we think of her as being a very good person. But in a, in 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 a way, you know. I mean, you know, she could have been programmed to to kill somebody, like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator in the first movie. I mean, um, she has that kind of relentless, obsessive mm-hmm. quality that everything she she thinks about, she asks this question: Would it be good for Josie? Would it not? You know, would it save her? Would it would it help open out her life?
1: There's a moment when Clara goes to Rick's house, and his mother Helen says, "One never knows how to greet a guest like you." After all, are you a guest at all? Or do I treat you like a vacuum cleaner? When you think about, when one thinks about Clara, she could be a tool, a toy, a companion, an appliance. When, and it's interesting because I called her an AI entity. You called her an AI creature. When you think about Clara, is she a toy? Is she a tool? Is she an appliance?
0: Well, she's all those things, you know. I mean, I, I suppose we project all these things onto Onto creatures um, and machines, and we all have pets, and, and uh, you know, I, I think we probably project a huge amount onto pets that we have, you know. And I, I suppose what I wonder is how much we project onto each other mm. uh, as human beings. You know, we 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 think we love, and we have these relationships, and so on. I don't know how much of that is what, what we're projecting onto people. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean yeah Clara is i suppose like a i mean in nineteenth century literature, you often come across the governess, you know the person mm-hmm. people don't quite know if the, if she's a servant or a guest or you know what and and Clara, I always thought was kind of in in that slightly in that kind of position. Um, people didn't know whether she was a human being or whether she was like a vacuum cleaner you know
1: We asked our readers whether Clara loved Josie. Sixty-eight percent said she did. Thirty-two percent said Clara wasn't capable of feeling love. What do you think? Can Clara feel love?
0: Well, you see that one of the one of my hopes in writing this book was that the readers will really interrogate that very question about what what is human love. What what is it that we're loving exactly when we say that we love? Um, and so. Uh, you know, I, I I don't have a clear answer to that. As I said earlier, you know, you can look at it one way, is that Clara is a machine and she's she's been programmed to achieve a certain goal, an ultimate goal, and all the decisions that she makes on, on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis um, is based on getting closer to that goal. You know, so um, if her goal is to do the best for Josie, I mean, some people might call that love. Some people might just say that that's that's not love. I mean, that that's nothing to do with the human emotion of love. But that's one of the key questions in this book. Mm-hmm. What, what exactly are we saying when we say that we love somebody, you know, someone close to us, or that come to that, that we hate somebody? It, I mean, I'm trying to ask this question: Is that is this some sort of weird superstition that that hangs over us from some earlier era? When we believed certain things about having having a soul, and um, um, or is it important that we keep thinking like that—that that, you know, inside each of mm-hmm. our bodies, there's something unique that makes each of us very, very special and different from the next person? Because without that, it doesn't make a great deal of sense to say that you know you love this person, but you don't love this other person. I mean, the, the, this whole business about human love, I think, is a it, is a strange thing if you look at it from the point of view of a of a of a creature or machine like Clara. I mean, it, is it more than just a sum of kind of goals and wishes um, that you have for somebody? Um, so, I, I, yeah, I find it very hard to answer that question. But that, that's what I want people to think about. And and ultimately, yes, if you're afraid that you're going to lose somebody that you love, I mean, can you actually preempt or cope? with the possible pain of that loss by, by saying, well, yeah, you could, you could replace this person, you know, um, just, just figure out all the algorithms and the data of what makes this person tick and, uh, uh and just carry on with, with, with that piece of information. But there must be something other than that, that, um, we cling on to, you know, when we feel that we love somebody.
1: Let's talk about, uh, what love will make a parent do or the decisions that a parent will make out of love. Josie's mother has had her lifted. She's had her genetically altered to be more intelligent, even though it led to tragic consequences earlier with her sister. And, you know, we had Walter Isaacson on the show uh, about his book he wrote about CRISPR. And he seemed very enthused and excited about all of the possibilities of gene editing. When you were writing this book, did you think about the sort of the moral consequences of it? Did you, even if you didn't write about it necessarily, did you go over that in your mind, or was this just an incredibly interesting thing to consider?
0: No, definitely. I've been thinking about this a long time. I mean, long before I ever thought of putting any of this into into a fiction. You know, I've heard Jennifer Doudna speak. I was I was Mm -hmm. lucky to to listen to her. Talk in London, and um, I've been following the the various things. I mean, Jennifer Doudna, uh, more than anybody else, has been emphasizing both the incredible positive uh, things that uh, CRISPR and and, gene editing could bring for us, including losing the fear of many of the the big illnesses that we fear now. Um, But also, she's the one. she, She is a leading one of the leading voices in saying that we've really got to have a big conversation, not just nation by nation, but internationally, because this isn't something that um, you can really control very easily. It's a technique that um, is is with us. And very soon we are going to be able to, well, we're going to face this choice, you know, Um, and it's going to be some kind of supercharged version of, do you send your child to some sort of, fee-paying, expensive school, you know, uh, or is that actually mm-hmm. unethical? I mean, it's going to be some sort of huge version of that, of that kind of dilemma, but I mean, no doubt about it, it's going to be, an. it is a breakthrough. It's an utter breakthrough.
1: We asked our readers if they had sympathy for Josie's mother, mother about having her lifted, and it was right down the middle. 52% said they did have sympathy for the mother's decision. 48% said they did not. What is it about the world that you created that it is a reasonable decision for a mother, a parent, to make a decision that would endanger the life of their child?
0: Well, it's very hard for us to know from the information that's in the novel how big the actual risk is. If we're saying that it's, it's maybe you know one person in a hundred thousand child you know one child in a hundred thousand might suffer from this procedure, well that's the kind of decision that parents make about their child all the time, you know, about all kinds of medical procedures, Uh, you know, but, but if, if it's, if we're talking about, you know, maybe, you know, 30%, could it be seriously injured or damaged or killed? I mean, then it starts to look look reckless. So, I mean, I'm not wanting to pass judgment um, one way or the other. You know, you asked me to vote, I I, I wouldn't vote, (laughs) you know, but, um, but this is, in a way, I mean, we we all have to kind of start to think in terms of voting about things like that as a society. I mean, what do we want from these powers? You know, I, I kind of think. Um, I mean, you know, one of the things that makes me um, very uneasy about it is is just looking at the way society is going right now. You know, the the inequality that is opening up, mm. and the and and you know the ruthless sometimes the ruthless ways in which. Uh, adults do push their children towards certain kind of educational goals so that they can actually occupy the high what, what is perceived to be the higher echelons of society. And um, I mean, he, here in Great Britain, I mean, for generations, people have sent children to these elite public schools, which are actually I mean, uh, private schools in, you know, like Eton mm-hmm. and so on. You know, fully knowing that... Um, you know, they can be sometimes be traumatic or uh, brutal places. Uh, children are sent away as young as seven or eight. I mean, I'm not s- singling out Eton. I mean, Eton might be a fantastic school. But um, um, you know, I think parents have, for generations, made that decision here in here in this country. You know, they themselves have gone to these schools and, and they have nightmares about it. <laughs> but then they send their own children because they feel that's how you keep... the keep the power you know, in, in your sure. family. Um, the idea that the children could, could fall down the social ladder is unthinkable. I don't know, these are, these are very, very difficult pressures that, that come on parents. And I think the future we're facing right now in terms of things like gene editing um, and some of, the, some of the implications of AI, I think would actually put us in very difficult positions as, as parents and as human beings.
1: When you were speaking about that, it made me think of the huge scandal here in the States of people, well-known actors and actresses, buying their children into colleges. And I don't know if you're familiar with that scandal, uh, that actually several sort of well-known people had to go to jail because they were so determined to get their children into these elite colleges. that They were willing to break the law and false resumes and have people take their tests for them. And it made me think of Helen and Rick and the lengths that this mother will go to for her son to get an education. When you were thinking about the Helen Rick relationship and that just painful scene in the diner, what went into writing that scene where she has to basically debase herself?
0: Well, yeah, but Helen, you see, I mean, she's feeling guilty because Helen is somebody who chose not to have her child kind of enhanced you know, lifted as, 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 as mm-hmm. you know, they called it in the in the novel. Uh, but she feels bad about it. You know, she thinks she didn't actually think enough about it, and it just happened by default. Um, and so she feels she owes Rick a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's prepared to sacrifice a lot. She's prepared to sacrifice her dignity. You know, um, she's she's prepared to put herself through a huge amount of pain. Uh, with this guy that she once loved and doesn't love now, who treats her really badly, but happens to be the key to you know getting rick into into a halfway decent college you know but but this is the desperation of a mother who feels that um because of her her child kind of yeah. missed the boat, and she's doing everything to to make up for that um i mean there is this very cruel side of parenting yeah you know? um you know, Parenting is, is very difficult, and there's a very cruel side.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's very cruel on a parent, you know. Um, uh, so it, I guess, you know, in many ways, Clara acts like a kind of surrogate parent, and she comes over like uh, an ideal parent in a way. You know? um, she never thinks of herself. She, you know, she's resourceful. She does everything to help her child. Um, but there are other parents in the book. Um, who, who find parenting pretty tough.
1: That was my conversation with Nobel Prize laureate Kazuo Ishiguro. His latest novel, Clara and the Sun, was a Booker Prize nominee and a New York Times Notable Book of the Year. Ish was our April Get Lit with All of It book club author. Coming up, we spotlight another 2021 Get Lit guest and a Booker Prize finalist. Patricia Lockwood discusses her novel, No One is Talking About This, next. This is all of it.
0: On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from
1: America, wherever you get your podcasts.